Hi, Talia Lazarus here, and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today, I'm joined by Paul Follick, a former army officer who faced a life-threatening diving incident that uncovered a hidden heart defect. Altering his life dramatically, Paul was forced into early retirement from the army, leaving him reinventing himself and his life. But the challenges didn't stop there. In 2021, a motorcycle accident in Wales resulted in the degloving of his foot and the loss of his right leg. Undeterred, just a week after being discharged from hospital, Paul was back on his bike. Claiming his injury was his ticket into his next steps in life, Paul was led to Team Brit, where he earned a race license in a matter of weeks. So, join me through the reinvention and unyielding spirit that defies Paul Fallick. How are you today, Paul? I'm really well, thank you very much. Just got back from a weekend riding the TET in Wales. Um, so a bit sore from that, but really happy to be here. Thank you very much for, for talking to me. Of course, that sounds really exciting. And I'm really excited to get into why you were driving that this weekend. Um, but obviously what I want to do is I want to start at the beginning of your story. Uh, so let's kind of go back a little bit and where, I mean, where you want to take it, it then is over to you. Okay. Um, so I think my story probably starts back when I was at university and I was trying to work out who I was as a person. And I think for a lot of people, the university studies are secondary to finding out who you are and, and what you want to do with your life. And I was a little bit lost. Um, and one of the defining factors for me was going along to a careers fair with my housemate. She wanted to go and join the army. She wasn't sure. She wanted someone to hold her hand. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come along. They were giving away free curry. Thought it sounded like a great night. Um, so we puddled off together and, and uh, she sat there and listened to everything that, that they had to say. And as they spoke to her, I became hooked. Everything they were saying sounded amazing, um, the, the opportunities that were available to you. And um, we got to the end of the night and I'd signed up and she hadn't. And so I ended up on this career path where I, I took a year out of uh, my university studies and I went off with them. And and I just started having the best time possible. Um, and, and I sort of found myself at that point and thought, this is me. This is who I am. I want to be part of this lifestyle. Um, that took a little bit of a, a stumble um, in 2006 when I joined an expedition to go diving and we set off um, to Egypt and I'd been uh, training to become a scuba diver through the army, um, become an army diver for, for a number of years and was really enjoying it. Um, and halfway through the trip could had what can only be described as a freak accident. I had a, a, a decompression illness type two which is the bends if anyone's um, listening and, and knows about these things and it's it, it can happen for a number of reasons um and i had a, a defect in my heart that i didn't know about and it flooded my system with oxygen and as i came to the surface um i i was i was pretty much a vegetable there was there was no kind of um uh upper thought uh, my brain had been starved of oxygen didn't know it at the time and and i sort of got rushed to a decompression chamber um, and over the period of some weeks, they recompressed me um, a number of times. And I was alive at the end of it, but only just. Um, I wasn't really speaking. I wasn't really walking. Uh, me, who I, I was, had gone. And someone you know, else came in who was sort of 5 to 10% of the capacity that I had been before, before I went into, into that water. So that was, that was sort of the biggest um, point in my life where something had changed. Um, I'd gone from being really confident about I, I knew what I wanted to do to 
need someone who was who was needing so much care and so much kind of attention um just to get through day to day and the recovery process the first two years was sort of walking and talking um that was really really long and then probably the next three years were polishing what I got back into something that was recognizable um, that I recognized as sort of a quality of life that I was I was happy with but the army career gone at that point they they were really good they they held on to me for a sort of number of years but then when they said look you, you're just not going to get back to the level that you you were at really sorry um, it's been a great run but it's not for us and I sort of had to think about reinventing myself at that point and it was that was really really difficult the physio and the and the kind of recovery had taken um a lot of effort and and uh, i i sort of just did it out of necessity there's no choice when you go through something like that you have to just attend and go through and it's very guided and they 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 tell you what you need to do and, and you just throw yourself at it 100 percent. so that that happened and at the end of it and i thought oh, i'm not in the army who am i what do i do and i scratched around for a little bit trying to um re-find something that, that made me buzz and the nearest I got was sort of cars and motorbikes I'd, I'd had a passion with them beforehand and I discovered that I had a bit of a flair for riding um, I was quite a good road rider I really enjoyed it and I, and I got some of the adrenaline that I'd missed um, from my army days um, by going out and riding fast and, and it was sort of a coping me mechanism. It was nothing more, nothing less. And it, and it was stupid and reckless and all, and all those good things that when you're that age and you, you need something to, <laughs> to grab onto, that's that's what I found. Um, so that's kind of where the love of motorsport came from. Um, and it was, I think it was a desire to, to have some self-preservation. I realized that to get the kick, I couldn't ride at those speeds on the road. It was technically possible, but you were, you were, rolling a dice every time you went out both with your license and with you know having an accident it's not a safe place to go fast on the public highways and 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 I think I was young and stupid enough to do it but just old enough and just wise enough to realize that I had to change um and I ended up taking my riding on track and that was the defining moment as soon as I got on a track and I realized the speed was encouraged. There wasn't a policeman hiding around every corner there were other like-minded people that were were polishing that art and there was a sense of family and community there, which, again, was really important because I'd lost that by being removed from the military background and, and losing that sort of family connection. That was probably the hardest bit. Um, and then finding racing was my key to that. There were like minded people. They could do the same sort of things. I was relatively good at it. And I just set off down this career of wanting to race bikes. Um, every single opportunity I had, um, I I. I managed to coerce one of my friends into joining a team with me um, and he was rubbish and I was quite good so we used to come first and last but we laughed about it and it was whatever we could whatever we could do to get racing we would um, we we would you know sleep in the back of the van like wrapped in mm -hmm. tire warmers at night trying to keep warm anything just to get it get on track and get that buzz um, and that became who I was I was a I was a bike racer um, and it started to define me and I needed that um, quite badly um, so that's kind of how I got to the kind of motorcycling stroke racing side of my life and, and everything from that followed teaching racing and competing and, and being involved in the mechanics everything stemmed from that kind of need to have an identity. Can I just ask how old were you and when you discovered uh, most sports? Um, well I was 16 when I got my first motorcycle mm -hmm. I think I was in my mid 
20s, probably when I first discovered that that was um, a, a kind of defining characteristic that, mm -hmm. that I enjoyed kind of fitting in with. Um, and then the more I did it, the more intoxicating it got. There's something about motorsport that, that once you start, that it's never enough. You need to go faster and bigger. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's ridiculous and stupid and wonderful all at the same time. And, and I think anyone that's done any of it will, will completely understand that. Mm. Um, and it's nice to have an identity when, when you're looking mm. for who you are. If you're a soldier, you're a soldier. If you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer. If you're a bike mm. racer, you're a bike racer. And it's just something you can you can say, this is who I am. These, these are my um qualities that i i can do this thing and these are my values and this is the person i want to be yeah the reason why i asked that question is because you said at university you were in the case of trying to find yourself and then obviously you became a soldier and then it happened all over again of trying to find yourself again and find out who you are find out your identity find out what makes you happy let's say find out what you want to do and so the reason i asked that question is because it just shows that we don't have to be teenagers when we, you know, decide the plan and stick to it. We can be any age and it can go one direction. And unfortunately for unexpected circumstances, it can just not follow through that way. And then you can be left again with, okay, where am I going now? Um, and at any age, and it's kind of, it's, it's important to know that you can pick yourself up and find something completely different and completely new. Yeah, and, and I think it's really important um, because when you're younger, you don't realise um, so much that when I was um, with the military, that was the happiest I, I've ever been and it was fantastic. And now I race motorbikes and, and I'm, I'm, if not even more happy and it's completely different and it, and it change doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you know how to look for the silver lining, that's the quality in, in, in getting through life. It's not it's not what you're dealt or the or the situation you're in not finding yourself It's the ability to find those good bits in whatever hand you're dealt mm -hmm. and you know something that can come from absolute catastrophe we think oh my god this is this is life-changing this is this is horrific can lead to wonderful and beautiful things and and it's it's always a pleasure to try and explain that to people coming you know who are younger than you to say look i know this seems really bad i know this seems awful however if you know how to look for it, you can make this into something wonderful. It is. It's finding the opportunity in the challenges. But again, yeah. it's it's not something that people learn overnight. And it's definitely not something that you tend to understand when you're younger. Yeah. Um, it seems to be something that just as you go through life, it's just as you go through experiences in life, it starts to kind of resonate. And you're a bit like, okay, maybe maybe these challenges are, are happening for a reason. Um, and maybe this reason is for me to do something very different and actually very incredible with my life. Um, and then, so what kind of what happened next then? Okay, so I was pretty settled. Um, I was having a really good time. I was teaching on track. I was racing. I was I was just you know immersing myself in in that world, and 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 I, I guess in in a way I'd sort of stagnant stagnated because. I, I'd reached a place I was kind of quite happy and, and everything was good. Um, everything that I did involved bikes in some way. Um, you know, we we go off to Vietnam and ride from the, the south to the north and we rode mopeds for charity from Lands End to John O'Groats and we'd go on holiday on bikes and we race bikes and every single thing just had bikes in it. So one weekend, my, my partner and I were going to see some friends and it was in Wales. Um, obviously, we were going to take the bikes because that's just how we, we chose to get around. And on the most ordinary ride in the most ordinary day, um, 
I came around a corner and there was a Ford Transit there that and I thought, oh, hello. <laughs> this is this is not what I was expecting. And and I sort of looked at the situation. I, I've been riding long enough to to sort of know when when something's not right. And as I came round, I thought, well, this is this is going to be tight. He's a bit close and, and all the rest of it. And I, I moved the bike over and I, and I managed to get the bike past the, the front of the transit. But the bike I was on had some panniers that stuck, uh, stuck, stuck out on the back. And as I passed sort of his driver's door, the front wing of his um, van just clipped, just knocked the pannier. And it, it was it was the smallest of, of nudges. And that motion managed to knock my foot off the my right foot off the uh, foot peg and into the gap between his wheel and his wheel arch is about a gap the size of a foot so you could never do it again if, in a million years if you if you tried and as we passed each other and relatively slowly at this point because we both sort of slowed down and uh yeah my foot just ended up in this gap and as he continued to go the other way my foot went with him and I just remember thinking, oh, 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 and then ow, 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 and then laid the bike down in the middle of the road and, and just remember the pain was just, you know, that, that was the thing I remember was was just going from, oh, crumbs, hang on, we need to sort this out to something's gone horrifically wrong here. And I couldn't work what it was because the bike hadn't sort of really hit the van and, and nothing had really sort of contacted in any major way. But I didn't realise that my foot had got caught in that gap, and it, and it was it was just a bit of shock, really, about what's happened. Um, and then I remember laying on the floor, and that that classic kind of scene where everyone is starting to look in above you as you're laying there. And it was it was a really kind of terribly polite and British affair. And I said, "Oh, I think I've I've hurt myself," and and uh, everyone was sort of saying, "Yeah, your your foot your foot's kind of pointing the wrong way," and all the rest of it. <laughs> what was left of it. And I couldn't really see. I was on my back and I was looking up and I had my crush helmet on. And the first thing people always say is do not take your crush helmet off because if you have any sort of spinal injury, it can really make things worse. So I lay there for a little while while everyone talked to me. And I, and I sort of became aware that of the people that had stopped, I think I was the person in the least amount of shock. Everybody else was really struggling to come to terms with what had happened, including my partner and, and, and a lovely lady that had stopped. And so I started laughing and joking and trying to put everyone else at ease and, and the van driver who was mortified who was coming over and I was saying, don't worry about it. You know, these things happen. And and just really trying to focus on making everybody else feel calm and relaxed. And um, I thought, well, the ambulance will be here in a minute. And uh, sort of 10 minutes went past and 20 minutes went past. And eventually someone got a phone signal out because in Wales, that's, that's a challenge in itself. And we ended up there for an hour at the side of the road before um, an ambulance turned up. And it, it was it was a really surreal experience. I just remember laughing and joking with all the people at the side of the road, trying to keep them calm and trying to keep them happy. And I think for my own sanity, whilst thinking, I know something's gone really quite badly wrong, but kind of if I don't look at it, if I don't acknowledge it, it will be fine. It, the ambulance will come and they'll sort it out <laughs> and after an hour i was i was really struggling with that but eventually they did come and uh i remember the paramedic guy um uh looking you know he, he eventually took my helmet off and he looked in my eyes and he just said this is serious this is you need to dial into the fact that this is really you know really a bad injury and i think that was the first point where i sort of stopped laughing and joking and said okay no problem um can have some painkillers and we get on an ambulance and, and that's sort of the last thing I remember I, I woke up in hospital um uh, I think later that day and they sort of said yeah you know your, your foot has main, mainly been degloved and removed 
um, there is bits of it left. Um, so we're going to get you to surgery right away, have a look at it, clean it all up, and then we'll, we'll speak to you in the morning. And that, that began the process, really. Um, the next month was spent in hospital with them trying to surgically rebuild the foot. Um, that didn't, didn't work. Um, and, and that was sort of a, an event in itself. Um, and that basically sort of turned me from just going about my life into an amputee. And it's really strange because no one, no one announces it. No one tells you it's going to happen. Just one day you, you, you end up waking up and you haven't got a leg. I have a question. Do you think the, that first hour might have been some sort of coping mechanism of maybe you knew it was pretty serious, but your brain, you know, the brain sometimes doesn't want to, you know, it's, it's, it, it's how the brain kind of comforts us and keeps us safe. So it, it, it doesn't make us fully understand what's going on at that time. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that looking back, that was, that was definitely something that was going on. Um, humor is, has been my coping mechanism. It's, it's a military coping mechanism. Sort of gallows humor is, is a really good way of dealing with things. Um, and I remember being at the roadside and there was a, there was a lovely lady that stopped and she, um, she practiced Reiki and she said, uh, she said, would you mind if I practice Reiki on you whilst you're laying here? And I was, unless you got morphine, knock yourself out, you know, we, we, we went through a whole Reiki session. I had questions for, her, and it was brilliant. It distracted me for a good 30 minutes. And, and, and <laughs> I, I had no idea why she decided to stop and wait for an hour, but I was really grateful that she did. And I still never, I, I don't know if it helped or not, but it certainly didn't make anything worse, but no, the, the whole roadside part was actually it was it was a reasonably comedy kind of british affair um i, I looking back quite enjoyed it mm. <laughs> I, like you, <laughs> I like you said it was a british fair <laughs> it was a very good well i was conscious that was there was at least one lady present and and i i promised myself right at the beginning i said i'm not gonna swear uh, I, I promised myself two things no matter what had happened i was gonna get over it there was gonna be a recovery mm. process and it was all gonna be fine and I was with my partner and I felt, you know, I, I felt safe and, and, and all of that. And I wouldn't swear. That was one thing I said, I'm not going to utter. And I think I said, oh, bother a few times when it really started to hurt. And, and I was very proud of myself. For that. that was the one thing that I sort of managed to concentrate for, for the time. Yeah. And then you were saying about how obviously no one, you know, no one kind of warns you or tells you or kind of gets you ready for the fact that you're going to become an amputee. Um, and then in that space, you said, you know, one day you wake up and it's, it's kind of happened. How, how did you mentally take that on? Because I'm sure that there's a, there's a pretty big shift mentally in that. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. And, and, and that's a question that gets asked a lot and I'm never quite sure how to, to answer it. I remember going through several stages in, in hospital, um, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's hard because they, they fill you with a lot of painkillers and, and they can alter your perception of, of or your clarity of thought quite a lot so it is hard to kind of maintain a thought process but I remember right from the the, the first few minutes of laying on the floor was whatever happens I just give it 100 percent and and get back on my feet <laughs> if only I'd known um, but I'd had the the process of going through the bends before where I knew that you only got to the recovery stage by just digging deep and just focusing on that one thing which is is getting back on your bike or getting better or, you know, standing up or whatever it is, you just, you just keep that light at the end of the tunnel and you don't stop walking towards it until you achieve whatever it is you deem a success, whether it's, you know, chewing your own food or, or running up a mountain or whatever, whatever it is, whatever success is for you, you, you pick a, you pick a target very early on and you, you be bloody minded about it and you, you just keep going until you get there. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I like that. It's, it's, it's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and whatever kind of comes your way to continuously keep following and keep kind of striving towards it. Yeah. How are no. you, how are you doing now then? Um, I'm doing fine. I don't think there was ever a point that I wasn't doing okay. Mm. Um, the, the most frustrating bit really is, is, is a, a lot of people will be sort of saying, well, you know, I, I bet you won't ride a bike again, or I bet you wish you hadn't ridden a bike or, you know, I've always said bikes were dangerous uh, and all these kind of things. And, and, and that, that was when I was in hospital and that, that bothered me. And, and especially when the nurses would be like, oh yeah, you're the fifth biker that's come through here in a week and you, you lot all the same. And, and, and that, that paused me for thought. And I thought, um, is it, is it my, is this, is this my fault? Is this something that I, I, you know, I should have foreseen. And then it was during COVID when I was in hospital and there was a lady um, in the ward opposite and I never met her, but the nurse came in and she said, Oh, she said, um, there's another lady um, opposite. She's going in for operation. Say, same operation as you. She's, she's her right legs being amputated. And I said, Oh, can I speak to her? And she said, no, no, no. COVID means that you can't meet or anything like that. I said, could you ask her a message? I said, could you ask her how she lost her leg? Um, and feel free to tell her how I lost mine. I, I was just bored. I wanted to, I wanted to sort of work out, you know, other, other ways. And the nurse came back the next day and she said, um, she said the lady had been driving to the shops and it was really unfortunate. She parked her car on a bit of a slope, hadn't quite put the handbrake on correctly. Um, I put one foot out of the door and her car had rolled back um, up against the wall and the, the door had slammed closed and, and cut her leg off. And I remember thinking, God, that's that's a horrific way to do it. But it it, it woke me up in that instant and it, and, and it made me realise you can go through life being really careful and not doing anything dangerous and um you know you could you could lose your leg or or worse, going shopping, which had happened to this poor, poor lady, or you could just do what it is you want to do and go out there and, and, and find yourself and be yourself. And, and if you get injured, then yeah, you're going to get injured, but you can equally get injured doing something completely safe and mundane. So what's the point in shying away from stuff if it's going to happen anyway? Um, so that, that really helped me. Um, and, and, you know, the lady's fine and she, she got out and, and we, we ended up chatting afterwards and swapping stories. But that one specific point was something I'll always remember is, is, never look back and think well I, I if i hadn't got into biking i'd still have two legs because i might have not got into biking and i might still not only have one leg and i might have lost it tripping down some stairs and then i you know I, <laughs> what would be the point so um that that's something i i i hold dear to my heart still still to this day i really like that story uh, that interaction, I really like what you said because so many people are so scared. And I know I've fallen victim to it in the past. So many people are so scared to do certain things because they are so worried on the outcome. But then just going to the shops, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 and that, that's, why I, that's why I like it because fear, I mean, everyone's fearful of, of, of very different things in their own way, in their own capacity. But obviously there's a point and there's risks involved in certain things, but it's also just kind of having the fear and, and doing the things that you want to do because we you do have one life. I know yeah. it's a very cliche thing and everyone kind of, you know, brushes past that, but you do have one life. And if you want to do something, but you're scared to do it, just do it. 
I, I think everybody has their their level of risk that they're they're willing to to accept. Um, but I think for me, balancing what I truly want to do and want to enjoy, um, the the idea of not doing it because of a perceived risk is is kind of failing before you start in a way. Um, and and like I said, everyone is different. Um, but it, that that lesson for me was was just affirmation that. Um, you know, I wasn't doing the right thing. I, I went out biking. I was wearing all the right kit. I do all the training possible. I did everything right up until that 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 moment, and it still went wrong. But people who go shopping, you know, take all the right precautions. They wear you know clothes and shoes and things, and it can still go wrong for them. So you know, just go out there, be sensible as you can, limit the risk where you can and where you can't. Just accept that that is a risk, and and don't cry about it if it if it does go wrong. Is is probably the the lesson I took away from it. So if you could go back then, a lot a lot of people do say this before I even ask it, but uh, if you could go back, would you change anything? If I could go back and save my leg and, and not go out that day, is that, that the... Yep. I, I think the obvious answer is yes, of course, I would go back and I would, I would have my leg back in an instant. However, um, as I move from that point, I'm not sure it's as clear cut as that. Um, I, I don't know whether... I'm just lucky or whether it's a set of circumstances that has come together um, in a certain way. But I've, I've had so many doors opened since this has happened and I've had such an adventure and I've met so many interesting people and it's, it's, it's nothing I would have chosen, but I don't think I would go back and change it. I think it's part of my life and I think it's immensely made my life more interesting and um, challenging and difficult and wonderful for it. So I don't think now I've got this point, I would go back because it would mean sacrificing all the experience I've had since then. And yes, it's been painful. And yes, it's been difficult. And yes, it can be frustrating at times. Um, but my God, the, the the world has just opened up in front of me in so many ways that I never imagined possible. Um, I don't think I'd want to lose that. No, I wouldn't so what, want to lose that. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, this is the thing. And I want to, so, you know, please share some of the ways that the doors have opened for you. Um, okay, so when when they were trying to save my foot, it was mm -hmm. kind of, I, I tried very quickly to become um, at peace with the fact that I might end up with a foot that wasn't brilliant, but I had it, or they were gonna cut it off and I wouldn't have a foot at all. So, that, so I kind of balanced those two quite quickly and came to peace with both of them. Um, when the surgeon came in, it was a really rushed meeting. He said, uh, oh, as you know, we, we operated on the, the foot this morning. We've taken lumps of your other leg out to try and rebuild it. That hasn't worked. So we're going to pop back in the morning, um, first thing, and we're going to take your foot off. And and that was it. He was as blunt as that. And I said, oh, OK, I've, I've got questions. He said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to stay and chat, but I've got other patients to go and see. <laughs> so he said, the nurse will look after you. And I was, I was sort of absolutely shell-shocked um, at, at that kind of, right, OK. Um, he he was a, a, a military surgeon, so he came from a military background as well. And, and I think very much he was kind of like, "Don't worry, chap, you got this. I got faith." It, it was a very, it was a very military esque interaction with like, "Here's some horrific news. Um, have a cup of tea. Nurse is there if you want to, you know, blub." But I'm sure you don't see you in the morning. So I was like, "Okay, fair enough." Um, and, I, and I called a few few friends and family and said. <laughs> it's happening um you know not 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 too happy about it and and you know some of my better friends were like we'll just make sure they take the right leg off and and, and we had a laugh about it and, and it was all it was all okay but when i woke up the next morning um 
the reality hit in. And for me, I, the only question I really wanted to ask was, how was I going to ride a bike again? And how was I going to drive a car again? Because those were the two things that identified me as a person. And I'd already lost my identity once, and it was it was horrible. And I didn't I didn't know if I had it in in me to reinvent myself again. And you know, I was sort of sitting there thinking, what's the chance of finding a third thing that you love? Um, and that that challenge was was kind of probably the most daunting thing. So I sort of sat um, and I, I chatted to a couple of um, colleagues who knew um, other soldiers who had amputees. And I said, look, can you find me someone to talk to? Spoke to a couple of people, um, fell into a, the arms of a charity called Blesma, which is the, the Limbless Society for British Soldiers. And they were great. And they said, look, there's loads of stuff going on. Um, we don't know much about the racing, but there's this team called um, Team Brit. And they have disabled drivers. And I thought, well, I've only raced bikes before, but, um, you know, that's the first lead I've got. And although the surgeons gave me a complete list of things that they, they didn't want me to do, which involved almost everything that was enjoyable in life. So I ignored nearly 90% of it. But they said, if you get back on a bike um, in the first couple of years and, and you basically split open the stump that you're left with, there's an artery that, that runs through there. And he said, you'll bleed out before the ambulance gets to you on track. So you, you just can't ride a bike. Just, you know, um, you can't go racing. It's just too dangerous. And that was sort of the one bit of advice that sort of really hit home. And I, and I could kind of see the, the logic of what he was saying because low side accidents on bikes are quite common. If your leg's down there and it, and it, and it ruptures, you know, it's still weak at that point. Um, so I was like, well, maybe this car car racing business is, is something I could look into. Um, so I think it was a day or so after the operation, I, I emailed um, the principal, Dave Player, and said, look, I've had, I've had a spot of bother. Um, my leg came off yesterday, um, really missing racing. Can I come and make the tea? Can I come and do something? Can I come and visit you guys? Can you tell me what it's like racing cars with disabled people? What's the deal about? I don't understand it. I'm on a lot of meds. I'm confused. Yeah, throw me a bone here. And I think the afternoon in point, he, he wrote back going, um, it's really simple. Um, you know, we, we take people with disability, we put them in a race car, they race against able-bodied people and they're quite good. Um, so as soon as you're ready, um, let us know, come along um, and get in a car and come and see what we're about. Um, and that email was, was, that was the first challenge I got um, after the leg come up, came off was, was getting well enough to go and visit the team and find out about this racing. And it was a singular focal point that I had in my, in my, in my brain was that's what I needed to do. <laughs> um, and that's all I concentrated on for the next three weeks. It's so interesting that you emailed them the day after your surgery. It, it, it shows how driven, I guess, and how much you really wanted to, uh, I mean, continue on with the things that you loved and find the passion and, and get it back quite quickly. Um, it's, it's, it's quite admirable that you did it the day after surgery. Um, yeah, yeah, everyone else called it bloody mindedness. <laughs> 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 go with that. Well, it, I, it was. I, I don't I like know. It. It, it was just. It, it was. I think it was just a coping mechanism. Um, it was how quickly could I get back on my road bike? Um, and I think I was released from hospital. I think a week and no, is it two weeks after the operation? I think it was two weeks and some days I, I was released from hospital um, to go home, and they, you know, it, it was go home 
go and get lots of rest start your physio routine and, and the next six months is going to be about you and physio and um and that night my friends were it was eurovision and my friends were having a party um away we were in bristol in the hospital and my partner lived in cheltenham and they were having a party in crawley and i said we need to go to the party um you know there's no way i want to go home and we had this huge argument because my partner didn't want me to go and my friends and i said we're going you know we, 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 so I, I took as many painkillers as i could and the, the journey over with the jiggly rose was agony and you know got there and couldn't sleep and couldn't yeah nothing went right but i was so bloody minded that i wanted to go to the party and uh so that happened and then a week or so later um i got up to brands hatch and got in the car for the first time um and again was just the earliest opportunity and i think i got back and a week after that i managed to get back on my bike um just with my brother's help sort of lifting me onto my road bike and i just remember getting on it and riding it as fast as i could because that was that was to me was that was the proof i needed that i was still who i was um and i remember we went on a ride together and and the the sort of stump was on one side of the bike and i remember going a, a reasonable speed i remember it flapping behind me <laughs> because the wind was there was nothing keeping it sort of in in place and i didn't have any muscle structure and i remember just holding onto the front of my bike and just you know opening it up and thinking I can still do this. I, I, I don't know how it's going to look and how it's going to work. And where we got to where we was going, I couldn't even get off the bike because there was only one leg. So I could get off the bike and sit on the floor and that was about it. But that was enough. Um, and I remember being on the bike as much as possible, um, but even getting to a petrol station and, and having to get the lady to come out and take my money because I couldn't get off the bike to go in to pay for the petrol. I didn't have enough. The, 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 right, the left leg had been cut to pieces to try and save the, the right one. And the right one was missing. So I was pretty much, once I was on the bike, that was it. I was stuck there. But I was on the bike and that's all that mattered. And I could ride. And, and eventually I, I sort of slowed down a bit and I got out of my system and I, and I sort of calmed down. But the, the, those first few rides, all I wanted to do was just, yeah, prove to myself that it was still, um, you know, possible. And yeah, stupid as it was, that that's all I wanted to do. But sometimes we have to do them for ourselves. We have to do these things for nobody else except us. We have yeah. to show ourselves just what we can do. Um, and sometimes all we have to do is do it once or however many times and you kind of think, okay, I've done it. I I am capable. I can do this. Uh, and it, it just, it changes something in your mindset as well when you have seen that you've been able to do that. And I think it almost projects you and pushes you and, you know, launches you into the future. Um, so you are a driver for team Brit now and how is that that's fantastic um so i started off in in my first year um they put me into one of their academy cars which is a, a little one series and we competed and and did quite well in that and then in in year two which is just the end of this season finishing now um i moved up to an m240 which is sort of a, a twice the power and, and sort of not much heavier and that season's gone really well we've got quite a few podiums and and been around doing all kinds of wonderful stuff and they've just moved me up into one of their McLaren 520s um, to compete um, next year in the endurance championship. So we've just done the six hour endurance championship at Donington. We came second. So, yeah, I mean, just in the car now. And it's 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 such an amazing opportunity. It, it's so hard to get into racing in any type of racing. You have to work really, really, really hard. And, and I, I work my ass off to get into bike racing because it's it's expensive and difficult and it hurts when you come off and all that great stuff that make it wonderful and i never thought in my wildest dreams i would become a car driver because it's bike 
racing turned up to 11 that the you know you need more sponsorship you need more support you need a bigger team you need all this stuff and i just thought well i'm not in that league i'm gonna sit here being a bike racer i'm absolutely happy with that i know my lot and then all of a sudden you you've got someone saying okay there's this opportunity here um if you want to jump we'll we'll you know we'll show you the way and it's up to you and from a physio point of view nothing could have spurred me on uh, more than that um it was a combination of the, the the surgeon saying this is what you can't do and and going oh, i'll show you and the the team going you know if you get well enough to come here you can race this car and if you do well at that then you can race this car and then if you're good at that then we'll put you in this car and you know their 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 aim is to get to Le Mans um, and be the first ever disabled team to compete at Le Mans which is a massive undertaking you can't just turn up and on a race it's years and years of development and, and they're getting closer and closer so to be part of that that journey with other people who have got uh, a weird and wonderful and you know amazing different abilities and they're all coping in their different ways and every one of them has got a struggle um but you're in an environment where everyone is so focused on that singular goal it's you don't worry about the injury that's that's part of it that's just your ticket through the door the, the the work starts when you get there and, and you can concentrate fully on that and, and so many wonderful things come from it. The people you meet and the adventures you go on, it's it's just fantastic. Do you feel then that you had to reinvent yourself again when you did get into car racing or was it more of a transition, let's say? I it, yeah, I think it was more of a transition. I still I still felt felt very much like um I belonged on a track. Um so the fact that I changed from bikes to cars, it was a huge learning um uh, challenge for me because there, there's some things that are similar but a lot of it is is different um it, it it's it's a learning curve um and and the competition within the team um it's not a charity it's not a handout you don't get it just because you you turn up and you know you lost an arm or leg or whatever you have to you have to you know make sure you're you're valuable to them and, and you can you can hang in there um so there, there's work to do but in that work comes that, that that focus kind of gives you um, a distraction from everything else that's going on and, and allows you to focus on something that you really, really enjoy rather than going to physio three times a week, and which is horrible. No one likes to go to physio three times a week. <laughs> Did that for three, four years. You know, absolutely hated it. Um, so, you know, it just gives you that that extra um, kind of opportunity to go and do something really wonderful and mad and cool and different. I like the way that just before you said it was the ticket into, you know, the, the injury, let's say, was the ticket into what you're doing now. And when you think about that in any aspect of life, in anything that anyone's going through, they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're whatever it is, you know, their injury or the accident, their, you know, whatever it is that they are going through. I've never heard someone phrase it like this, and I actually really like it. It's just the ticket. It's the ticket whether you take the ticket or you don't, but it's the ticket into into the the the, the movie, into the next step of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it, it's really weird because it, it, it doesn't define you, but it becomes a frame for you to work in. Um, yeah. And since becoming an amputee, there are, there are huge benefits, absolutely huge benefits. And, and it's, it's, it, it varies just from people being interested in your story. Um, people are much more likely to come up to me now just randomly and, and just ask, um, especially um, when you, you meet kids, they're, they're, they're so honest. They're like, where's your leg gone? And I say, well, I didn't clean my room. I stood on some Lego and that, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> which their parents love. Um, but it, it just allows you to to frame sort of the next section of your life. Um, and there's, there's work that I do now where 
having one leg is an advantage. Um, we're working out in Ukraine at the moment, taking taking aid out there. And I don't speak Ukrainian, and most of the Ukrainians don't speak English. But as soon as I turn up with one leg, they instantly want to help and find out what I'm doing. And they're uber friendly. And I think they assume that I lost it in Ukraine, which is it's a horrible thing to say, because there are lots of people that have lost their leg in, in Ukraine. But I've got no way of telling them that I haven't lost my leg in Ukraine. But they then instantly want to help with whatever it is that I'm doing. And it makes my work so much easier. And I think if I just rocked up as a two-legged bloke, then they wouldn't have given me the time of day. So, you know, it's there are so many benefits and uh, upsides that if you know how to look for them they present themselves but i think that's the that's the key for anyone going through this is learn how to look for um ways that this improves or defines or it, it makes your life easier rather than all of the ways that it makes your life much less easier mm. that that is exactly it it is that is the key the key is just being open to the opportunities and being able to look for what's going on around you. Don't be so blinkered of, you know, it's just this way, this is going to happen and this is not going to happen. You have to be open to the opportunities because you have absolutely no idea what tomorrow can bring and who it can bring and what kind of job experience, you know, life it can bring. And you have to be open to it and keep your eyes open to it because so many of us kind of shut our eyes to things and they don't, we don't want to see. But keeping them open, like you said, you just have to be open to these things. Absolutely. And, and I think another thing to watch out for is is people you will interact with um, who are convinced that there are limits to what you can do now or there are ways that you should behave or there are certain things that you shouldn't shouldn't do. Um, and that's great. And, and I, they always come from a place of well-being or a place of love or a place of worry um, for you. You know, don't write that. You've had enough of bikes. Stop riding bikes or, you know, there's no way you're going to race a car or, or whatever it is that they're, they're saying that it's just not possible. You need to have a reality check. Just always question that. Always just say, look, OK, I, I, I get what you're saying, but is there someone else with this injury that is doing something that I want to do? Um, the, the amount of amputees that I've I've bumped into now and talked to who are doing amazing things and that, that's just amputees it doesn't matter what the injury is the chances are someone's been before you with that injury and for every 10 people that you find that have gone okay i'm i'm, I'm done now i'm just gonna you know tap out or time out or, or I'm, I'm gonna have a quiet life somewhere and, and sit there is one person that's gone now nah, i'm gonna go climb a mountain or i'm gonna go and you know start a podcast or i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go and do something amazing with this ticket that i've got because I can't undo it, you know, nothing that I can say or do will, will roll back time. So the only thing you can take from it in that point is is something that's positive. And if you can find a way of finding that, then you're going to be so happy. You're just going to go and smash it. Um, it does make you determined, bugger, I can assure you of that. And I think it's really important to note that if you can't find anybody, because there, there, there might be something so niche that you actually can't find someone that is doing it or has done it, then don't let that, you know, don't let that fact then put you off. Because yeah, I, you, I'd never thought of it like that, actually. <laughs> Just you can then be the first person to do it. No, absolutely. No, that's a really good point. Um, there, there always has to be a first person. Um, mm. and, and again, it, no matter what you want to do, um, it, it, it's incredible. I never thought I'd be racing a car. I, my mm. teammates got one arm, you know, I've got one leg between us we're an entire racing driver with a couple of bits left over where we, you know, and the other guy in the other car, he's got the other arm missing and 
we all get up every day and we go and compete against able drivers that have got no idea that we're disabled. Once you're in the car, you can't tell. Um, so they go around things that we're, we know, absolutely normal able. It's not till we get out or in a wheelchair or, you know, we're trying to eat lunch with one arm and someone's having to cut stuff up for you. You think, oh, okay, well, I, I kind of see what's going on there. Um, and that's happening all over the world with so many different people and in so many different ways and different injuries and different um, kind of complications and difficulties that people have got. Um, it's it's amazing when you actually scratch the surface and look at what people can do when faced with that. I'm, I'm always humbled by it, always. Well, what people can do once they have a ticket. Once they have um, a ticket, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the ticket can come from anything, but yeah, you have absolutely. To... And, and yeah, ne never, never, never sort of never regret your ticket because you can't change it. And even if it was your fault and it was something stupid that you did, the only way you're going to be disadvantaged of it is if you sort of let it get you down and think, right, well, I've been stupid and now I'm being punished. No, the thing has happened. It happens to everyone, you know, whether it's your fault or not your fault, and you can do amazing things with it if you if you know how to convert that ticket into an opportunity um and, and that is a skill in life that if you find people out there that will teach you how to do it if you can't already do it um but once you can it's, it's wonderful yeah it is wonderful it is and then what i want to do is i want to ask you then if you what advice you would have to somebody that might be at the stage where they are probably having to reinvent themselves uh, and they don't, you know, it's a scary thing to have to reinvent yourself. And it's, there's no guidebook, absolutely no guidebook at all. And everyone does it differently. What would you say to someone that is at the very beginning of that process? Okay, so it's a hard one, this one. I, th I think firstly, don't rush it. Sometimes it takes time. Um, sometimes you have to sit there. Sometimes it will come in an afternoon. For me, it happened in three or four hours. It was one email and the life that I didn't have got invented there and then. And it might have been to the team that I'm with now. It might have been to some guys that hike up mountains with one leg. It might, it, I don't know who it might have been, but the the key point is you have to reach out. You have to write that email. You have to pick up that phone. You have to ask that question. You have to go searching um, for people that are either going to help you or advise you um, or support you on this journey. Because if you try and do it yourself, it's, yeah, it, it's tricky. Um, and there are so many people out there that, will absolutely jump at the chance to, to to help you fight in your corner but you have to stand up and say this is what i want to do or this is what i think i want to do or this is who i think i want to be um and start that journey but only you can do it and you can do it when you're ready um but only you can decide that and only you can get it going yeah i hear i hear that a lot and i know from things i've been through you only do it when you're ready. Yeah. You can have so many people telling you to do certain things, but you will only fully do things, um, whether it's through acceptance or you know whatever it may be, but when you yourself are ready. And you get there eventually, but yeah, don't rush. You do it when the time is right for you. But when it is right, you'll be amazed at the amount of people that will, will have your back and people you didn't even know. It might be someone that's been through the same injury or someone that's got a partner that's had that injury or someone that's heard about that injury. People come out of the woodwork left, right and centre. That was the case for me. Uh, you know, Companies that I had worked for before, you know, years and years and years ago, who heard, who now sponsor me to go racing and to kind of lead the way for other people coming through. And and it's just incredible. You know, the, These people just turn up and go, Christ, all right, yeah, there's something to get behind. There's a, there's a cause. There's something that we want to support. And this is who we are. Um, we want to help you be who you are. Um, you know, 
what do you need? Um, and you were like, okay, I need this, I need that, I need, I need, you know, whatever it is that you need at that point, whether it be a leg or a wheelchair or, you know, petrol for the car, whatever it is, um, you'd be amazed at who will get out of their, their, their kind of corner to, to come and fight in yours. Well, we don't know the ending to any of our stories in life. And as we continue on through life, we think maybe, you know, this could be it. And these are just the people and these are the experiences, the places, the moments, the homes we live in, the countries. But really, we don't really know. And um, characters, like you were talking about, people that either come back from, you know, from the past and show up or pe brand new people that you only meet, you know, once you do start your new journey. The characters that come in and out of our lives, again, we have no idea who they're going to be. And some of them, I'd say nearly all of them, they they come into our lives for exactly the reasons they're meant to. And some of them just can change our life in a day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's amazing what personal thing or event can change the course of where you thought you were going. And I thought I had it all mapped out. And, you know, all of a sudden I didn't. And I'm sure it's the same for, for you and everybody else that will, will go through this. And you just think, Christ, okay, this is this is the new direction. I'm going to run with it, and and you know, make, let's make it a good one. And sometimes it can be such a, a an eye opening experience because you do get you know in life you do get comfortable and complacent, and this is who I am. This is what I do. You know, why not shake it up? Why not go and do it? And you know, you can be very young. Uh, one of the rookie drivers that's just um, joined the team, um, who's seventeen, eighteen, I think. I think so um and who's just um uh, become a wheelchair user broken his back through a motorcycle accident and his whole life has changed and and to go through it at that age um is in, I, I feel incredibly um it's, it's very poignant for him I, I don't know how i would have coped at, at 18 19 because i was a very different person back then and I'm, 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 he seems to be coping really really well and he's got a great attitude and he's he's matured massively through the, the same process we had our accident about the same time um and he's doing amazingly well but it, i don't think it matters whether it happens to you at 18 or 80 or anywhere in between it's it's what you do with it that counts i agree with you it's 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 not the thing that happened to you, it's what you choose to do next. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's on you, no one else. Everyone else will help you, but it's on you to, uh, to get yeah. up there and do it. It is, it is, it is always on you at the end of the day. You can have amazing support around you 100%, but it is on you. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else that you'd like to share today? No, I think we've covered uh, absolutely everything. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to come on and, and chat to you today. Yeah, you too. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much and uh, good luck with all the future. As we wrap up today's episode, Paul's story reminds us that no matter how dark the tunnel is, there is always light at the end. Don't just stand there, keep walking towards it. Life has a way of handing out unexpected tickets. So when life hands you that ticket, do amazing things with it. This week, think about which tickets life has handed you. Can you turn those into opportunities? Your dream life might not even exist yet, so why not take the reins and invent it yourself? It's time to forge a path to a future that exceeds even your wildest imagination. So, stay tuned for more incredible stories and thank you for joining us. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep walking towards that light. The journey is worth every step and remember that you have the power to get back up.